0: brand identity or the brand revolution, as we call it um, now, is the process of developing a brand. So so a lot of people think a brand is just a logo. A brand is not a logo. brand is actually the feeling that you get when you see something. For example, if we're talking about Mercedes, we think luxury, we think sleek, it's black. So that's what the brand is identity or the brand revolution is, is creating identity for your brand and the type of people you're going to serve, the aspirations of those types of people and getting into the psychographics of what kind of design is going to resonate. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debeautify podcast, your
1: resource for one of the kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state of the art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. While there's no shortage of time spared for our big tech companies like Amazon and Facebook, whenever we get a chance to talk local, we take it. Aaron Pearson of Fit Branding provides an all-in-one service to local heroes. We go over the essentials to branding and cover what are the differences between local and international businesses. If you're not into world domination, and I don't blame you, the overhead is nuts, want to go a more proximity-based approach, this episode is one for you. Enjoy. Aaron Pearson, it is good to have you here. Welcome to Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling?
0: Hey, my my typical response is uh, way above average and people usually are like, what do you mean by that? But uh, doing well. I'm super excited for this and um, really excited to just dive into talking more about, you know, business and Shopify and themes and just business. So super excited to be here. Thanks.
1: Fantastic. I got, I got one friend. uh, Every time I ask him how he's doing, he always, always, always starts with an, uh, and every time (laughs) like clockwork, it's, it's his thing. Yeah. It's it's fantastic (laughs) to have you here too. You know, um, initially I, I thought, this was just going to be the uh, the dropshipping podcast, and uh, what we realized pretty early on is there were so many other components to the industry that we wanted to talk about. And Ecomonics has really taken off as this this, this space, this exploratory vessel that goes to different planets and makes contact with different uh, civilizations. So it's it's great to make contact with uh, with you today as well.
0: Absolutely, that's a that is a very good analogy too. I'm going to have to use that in the future to kind of <laughs> steal for different <laughs> you're things. The,
1: you're not the first person to take a uh, something from this show. Uh, some I somebody else said that's a really good question. I'm going to take it, and then I w- went to listen to his show, and he he totally took it. And and I'm not even mad by the way. I'm actually like gleeful that my ideas have embedded themselves in other people. All right, Aaron. So it's tradition, uh, not just on my show, but across pretty much every podcast where people interview one another. uh, Tell us who you are and what do you do?
0: Awesome. So yeah, I'm Aaron Pearson. I am a co-founder of a marketing agency called Bit Branding. I'm also a podcast uh, host or co-host for the Marketing Natives, which is a podcast specifically for local and online businesses. um, And just Actionable tactical tips and strategies to help grow their business, but uh, we serve uh, people all over the U.S. Mainly U.S. We have helped some people in Canada. Shout out to them. Um, But our focus is Canada, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's who we help is the the local the small businesses usually um, less than five to seven million, um, all the way to the two hundred thousand dollars per year. But basically, we help them with four stages of their business: so building the brand. And then the next step is typically to have some kind of store um, or like a website presence, so a website. then we talk to them about online marketing, and then we talk to them about email. So it's typically those four stages that kind of move throughout um, and so we're really a full service for those for those local and online businesses.
1: Okay, so I wrote down your your four steps, um, mostly just for noting because I wasn't uh, planning on like uh zeroing in on them because I figured they would come up organically throughout the show. But I actually do want to know, so email, you said it's the, it's the fourth step. So why would email be the the fourth step? If he, somebody you had asked me to put that together, I would have thought email would have come sooner.
0: Yeah. So, it, and it doesn't necessarily like step one, step two, step three, step four, sure. but it it kind of does follow that route. So typically when somebody is looking for a business uh, or just start a business, they usually now, whether it's smart or not, I actually don't agree that it's smarter to go have a logo. I, I'd tell you to go make sales before you go do anything else. But um, so typically they reach out to us for a logo that transforms into a website. And the number one thing that you have to do for a website is drive traffic. So we use advertising campaigns to drive traffic simultaneously collecting those email addresses and then nurturing people. Now. I do agree the most valuable asset in your business is pretty much like email slash website, um, email almost even more. Uh, so it's not necessarily like it's a distant force, but it's almost, Mm -hmm. you have to have the site, you have to have something to start collecting the email addresses and, um, and then start nurturing them. Cause, uh, the last thing I ever want to do is join an email list where somebody emails me stuff that's not valuable. And I typically want to use email to drive traffic to the website, whether it's to make a purchase or a conversion, or completed registration, or you know whatever that may be. I want to drive them somewhere that I own.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, chronologically, the previous guest that we had had, uh, Paul Lee, he also uh, talked about how I think too much of our mental and also tangible, physical resources are expended in the wrong place. Uh, and and he put it in a way that was um, quite eloquent and efficient, which is that people are transfixed by that dopamine hit of like building a beautiful website, having a great logo and feeling really good about that website before They've driven them any traffic and then when they they realize that maybe their product isn't going to work out or maybe the business isn't going to work out, well, all this work is, unless they start testing other products, you know, it's, it's going to end up going to waste. So I I just want to know, like, what is, what are the main reasons why you hear customers wanting to go with like the logos first and why, how you managed to talk them into like focusing on the, on the traffic first?
0: Yeah, so I think it's a lot of peer pressure for business. So the people who typically reach out about the logo first are ones who are just now starting their business. So they've they've either read a book or they've been conditioned by friends that say, hey, you're really good at this. Go start a business about it. And they're like, okay, well, the first thing and the most fun and like shiny object thing is like, oh, I want a logo. So it's always like, okay, I want to go get a logo. Like I have my name. And honestly, they spend so much more time on, figuring out the name of their business and the logo that it takes months for them to take action on even the next step. So I think it's more so a societal like pressure to like do this first when really, if you look at a roadmap of successful entrepreneurs, like it doesn't necessarily matter. Like the brand will build itself afterwards. But if you don't have anything to build, the name doesn't mean anything. So um, it's kind of a catch 22. It's I think it's just intuitive for people to say, like, first Mm -hmm. comes your name, then comes your brand, then you got to build a website, and then you figure out traffic, when really it should be flipped on its head. It's like, let me build a community of people who want something. I now have a product that's proven, great, let me show the let let me create something that um, allows them to Purchase that, or or to say, or raise their hand that they want it. So I think it's societal.
1: Yeah, you know, and um, from my own background, I took uh, some improv classes, and one of the first lessons that they te- teach you in improv actually is not even one of the first lesson they teach you is the concept of yes and, um, which is to agree and then to build on what's happening, and then somewhere along those lines, um, one of the key lessons that they also teach is. If you go into a scene with a preconceived notion, then what happens is the mind is um, is really almost desperate to have that idea come to fruition. And then they're not open to the way that the scene will unfold organically. And we noticed that happened with our, with the show here too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, like I said, I thought this was just going to be the dropshippers podcast. And well, there's, that's still like our base. And we make sure that we, we service our base, but it's, it's expanded organically. And that's been the result of being open minded about it. So what I can see, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree with this or not, but I think because people have such a rigid idea of what their business is going to be, that limits them to what then the business will actually end up being uh, once it unfolds and it starts to generate interest and energy.
0: Absolutely. I, um, I was, I'm reading a book and I've gotten through like at this point, like 90% of it's called green lights by Matthew McConaughey. It's super interesting, kind of playing to your point there about the improv. He, uh, got his role for days and confused basically because he became that person and just made up very famous Mm -hmm. lines that all right, all right, all right. Um, that most people know and have put on t-shirts and stuff. But then he was like, okay, now I've gotten to this level. So I'm going to go take acting classes. And what it did, it, was it like, it forced his brain to be in this box versus like going through the route organically, like you said. So, um, it, amazing book as a side note to check out, but also I've just learned for that for myself to your point, which is that you've got to be, and we're in a process of like opening up and shifting a little bit of what we're doing because we found that, a lot more people are interested in like a certain area of our business. And if we, we could have ignored it and been rigid, but we're actually stepping into it. And part of that is mm-hmm. actually even coming on a podcast like this is, is talking more about Shopify, talking more about e-commerce, talking more about that process and what that looks like for those types of people. So uh, I, I absolutely agree that that's sometimes that can be a hindrance for business owners
1: mm-hmm. also i just um one thing that popped into my mind too that so the book is called green lights which i think is matthew mcconaughey being sly about kind of referencing his all right all right all right thing because it's you know cars are traffic turning so that was clever was good in him for that one um here's one thing that i wanted to just understand based on what uh because you say that you cater to businesses uh local businesses. Now, Is that like you're only focusing on businesses in, in Dallas? Cause I know that's where you guys are based out of, or is it more like if somebody say I'm a local business here in Toronto and you say, okay, well, we know how to help local businesses so long as local business is your, is your strategy. So I just want to clear that up. So like, uh, are you, are you limited by your own area or are you reaching out to locals wherever they may be?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's the local business model, meaning that it's typically the best customers for us are. It's typically family owned, or the family helps out in the business. Um, like I said, some people have very successful large family businesses, but it's not helping the Starbucks or the Chick Fil A's or the people like that of the world. It's um, it's the the solopreneur, the family owned business, the person who's just getting up, and if they're you know listen right now, it's like the person who gets up early, figures out part of their day plans it, has a family, and then typically has to go work in the business or run the business and working with a team or um, something like that. So those are the types of people that we work with and we help.
1: Okay, good. Yeah, I just wanted to, I, mean, I tell you the truth, I'm pretty sure that was the case, but I just wanted to to make sure, you know, just to kind of like go from 99% to 100% in my head. Um, now, I've, I, you know, I, I looked at your brand and looked at what's important about your company and you make an important point through your branding is that nothing you guys do is outsourced. Um, so it's a you know, f- full service for the sake of what local businesses need. Uh, I, there is one thing that I'm wondering about is like what in other equivalent agencies, what kind of work? do these agencies tend to outsource?
0: So, I mean, technically you could outsource anything. Some agencies are really good at driving sales and they'll actually just get it white labeled, meaning like another company will do all of the work and this agency just takes care of sales and they give a percentage to it. So, um, you could outsource design, you could outsource strategy, you could outsource Facebook ads, Instagram ads, YouTube. So you could technically, our whole agency could be outsourced. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you don't have the people that you talk to every day who have the hands-on experience with your business, which is really what we wanted um, is just the relationship with that person. Because it's just super fun to be able to take a business, you know, maybe doing $100,000 a year to a million dollars and see how that impacts their life, their family, and it just transcends.
1: Yeah. And, and I think it's also important to, um, and we'll, we'll get into this too, because your, your brand has a, a key element of, we're not going to recommend something that we don't do ourselves. And so, because your business everything is is contained i think that gives a much better impression to these other businesses that this is a trustworthy group whereas when they 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 (laughs) i'm doing everything i can to avoid saying outsource the work to you because there's a bit of there's a hint of irony in there but like if they're going to bring their work to you they want to know that the work actually stays there uh and is because they value more of that interpersonal relationship
0: it's uh it's actually interesting to me that our clients and in anything in the business world that I've realized is that getting them the results is like if I can make you for every dollar you spend I make you two dollars. You're much more happier with that if you have an amazing experience with us. But if I give you five dollars for every dollar that you spend and you have an okay experience you're much more likely to leave us because it's more about the relationship and the experience throughout of working with us more so than it is the money like short term it's the money like in 90 days people are like ah it's it's the money or whatever but after that the long-term relationships we've had with clients from the very beginning it's all been their experience with us and the relationship we've built with them so it's almost more important to have a better relationship than it is to have the results which is kind of weird for me to say that on a podcast but it's mm-hmm. it's so true you got to have somebody you trust. Um, who knows your business and really cares about it the same way that you do.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that through line was established, you know, even very early on. So one of the, th- uh, I remember even going as far back as interviewing a Ricky, which was our first interview episode. Um, but it was also like a, a crash test just to make sure that the format worked and everything. Uh, one of the other things that he said is that, you know, he changed, he, he pivoted from doing something that was making a tremendous amount of money to not making quite as much money, but his it improved his well-being and yeah. and we never want to leave people with the idea that this is just i don't know um maple syrup what we want is for people to understand that this is also the correct way to invest um into our long-term well-being and because if you don't have your well-being then you're not gonna make any money you're you're, you're not you're not
0: gonna get out of bed that's so true I love the fact that you're uh, from Canada and mentioned the maple syrup reference. That's awesome. <laughs>
1: well, I was about to say sappy, but like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It doesn't end on sap. It's on maple syrup. Yeah, I, I like doing that sometimes. Like, um, I, I, I notice my own relationship with Twitter and Facebook with Twitter. I, I don't unfollow people, even if like, you know, I don't agree with them because to me, Twitter is more like a battlefield, but then I refer, I refer Facebook to like buttermilk pancakes and maple syrup because I just want to, you know, anyways. I got a question for you. Uh, so this is another thrill that was established the first time we talked to somebody who had, uh, had an agency, um, uh, Tyler Jeffcoat. Great episode, not that we've had any duds, but you know, I'm just going to point out the ones that, I, uh, that come to mind based on context. And he made a point about how when you work with an agency... What happens is the agency is collecting data from all the other people that they work with, which makes it easier to make correct decisions, versus if you were to hire somebody who did everything in-house, they're collecting data, but they're not collecting they're not getting data from anybody else unless that's part of our job, which you know is really gonna eat into their uh their, their hour their hourly or their weekly budget. And then we also had another conversation with uh, Michael Zapersky, who as of this recording was just released for people wondering about our chronology. And he said, Yeah, I mean, up to a point, but then Depending on the size and the expansion of the company, eventually you would want somebody to work in-house because your company is just so big, uh, you can afford it. So, would you say that uh, data accumulation is true with your work? And if so, you know, what are you learning from one business that you've been able to apply to other businesses?
0: Yeah, I th- I would agree with the with the first guest, um, more so in saying that like you are gathering data points from each area of business, but it's also diversifying with like, say, for example, if we had e-commerce clients only, that would be good for only e-commerce. However, uh, we also have like lead generation clients or local businesses like that who just do lead generation. There's actually a lot more crossover with things like, you know, if, if it's the Facebook algorithm or Instagram or YouTube or whatever, there's a lot more crossover there that gives you even wider and more data points that way. And what we've learned really is that The more strategies that you can test, the more ways that you can kind of prove something to work or not work, it lessens the load for each client. Because, you know, whether an agency admits it or not, there's always constant testing. And so if I can, if you look at this as like the, like, just for example, the Titanic, you know, they have different compartments that fills up with water. Well, if we can only fill up, you know, one new client with 10% of water and everybody else with 10% of water, nothing's going to sink meaning that we don't have to spend 50% of our budget to try to figure something out. So I do agree with the first guess. And it allows us to uh, make changes quicker and faster and then cross-pollinate to other businesses or in other ad accounts. Hey, this worked over here. It's a similar business, similar industry. Let's take that same methodology. So, And with our industry, with marketing in general, it's just constantly changing. So if you aren't able to quickly adapt and grab different data points, I feel like, you're going to fall farther behind. So I, I would agree with that completely.
1: Yeah. Um, I, if I don't mind me asking, just about your your Titanic analogy, because uh, the way I'm I'm hearing it is that if the Titanic sinks, that's the the success condition where you're trying to fill the whole boat with so that it actually achieves. Or did I get that backwards? Because it's I'm, I'm I'm not sure I fully understood it.
0: Yeah. So I'm kind of like a Titanic nerd. So okay. like um, the first like the first five components of uh or the first first five. Comp- Compartments of the Titanic. If those were filled like all the way with water, the Titanic could still float. So it it just happened to be that it filled almost all the way for all those those um, compartments, and it went all the way through the ship. So that's what ended up, you know, causing it to like flip in half and cut in half or whatever, um, and actually ultimately sink it. But for us, if we have let's just say ten compartments and we only fill it with ten percent of water, well, then we make it to New York or we make it to our destination, and everybody is only, you know, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that there's a certain level of testing, you know, maybe you're wasting 5% of budget to figure out, okay, we can't ride this wave forever. So what's the next thing? So we got to spend 5% of our budget to, to try new things. Well, across 10 accounts, now we have, you know, 50 to 100% more, uh, I guess, equity to be able to test so that we don't really dampen the load for something so yeah kind of the opposite we are able to stay afloat because we can divvy out. we can uh divvy out the water easier
1: okay fair enough and also uh you being a a titanic expert so i i didn't know this but the titanic actually did split in half that wasn't just uh, an embellishment by james cameron
0: (laughs) so i you know um i say quote unquote expert i just i just loved it so i don't think it split in half uh technically until it got to the water and then after that it did separate from that point but I don't think it technically split in half like as the titanic was going or whatever but you know shout out to james cameron because the, the movie was just great but uh, yeah i don't think it technically split okay. in half like that where you know jack and rose were riding at the top and kind of went down now but i think it did separate um once it hit the water
1: okay i got you and okay I'll, I'll i'll skip my next one about whether or not the uh the orchestra actually was playing right to the very end i'm sure that's
0: ah dang it i think that was true right that's got to be true <laughs>
1: one of the things that you, you were saying uh, in, in your last answer about the, you, you know, different uh, companies, how you like a lead generation company. So one of the things in my mind is, I guess, based off the motif that I, I that I come to understand about small businesses and local businesses is mom and pop and, and, and family owned. And, you know, um, uh, family comes from Europe to open up a watch repair, stuff like that. Personal experience. That's why I said that. Based on the DNA of the different businesses you work with, is it also local businesses who are doing online services similar to what you're doing? Is it, or is it like, I guess, what's the, like the, what's the ratio of people who are just servicing the local community, baking bread versus people who are on, uh, on the digital space warning people about cookies.
0: Yeah. So to to clarify your question, you mean like how many different agencies provide services to those local businesses, right?
1: Um, well, I, I just want to know is, uh, the, the makeup of the businesses that you're servicing, like if is it largely, um, businesses who are just uh, servicing people through goods and services, or are there other local businesses who are agencies similar to what you're doing that you're working with?
0: So we're not working with any other agencies, quote unquote, like directly, we do have partnerships with er other areas. Like, for example, we're not the best company to work with as far as like posting on your social media. Like that's just, that's, we're more so on the paid side. um, And we have specific like areas that we like to focus and really I'm trying to cut down that even more to be more sophisticated, but so we do work with other agencies who like focus in a specific niche and then also do like, you know, for example, social media posting, that's not fun to for us. Mm-hmm. This particular company loves it. So we give work to them and we kind of collaborate. Um, we also work with another company who creates apps um, because we don't develop apps. That's just not us. Mm-hmm. We build websites. Yes, but we're not app builders. So we, we kind of partner with them. So um, I'm definitely in the mindset and I think our company kind of follows suit with this is just that we have an abundance mindset. So there's more than enough business for everybody and we can't be everybody to everyone. So we do partner with people like that. And there are people who serve them similarly. The, the issue, I guess, that runs into that with a local business is they're very confused because they put marketing or advertising into this huge umbrella where they're like oh you're a marketing company they're a marketing company and it's a apples to apples which is not necessarily true.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it, it all comes down to how well people understand it in the same way that somebody who doesn't understand cars will see two car dealerships and say well they're both selling cars right so you know, apples to apples well no these cars have different target markets they 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 build their cars differently they have different features different priorities. So it it, it does come down to uh, to awareness and um, I mean, that's what we're here to do, right? Uh, we're here in media to to raise that awareness. Now, I, I looked at your services, and many of these are terms that um, I've I've seen before, I have some familiarity with, um, but there's a couple of unique ones that uh, I don't, uh, maybe I like, I can kind of intuit it, but I would rather ask. Um, so the two of them are brand identity design and then reputation management.
0: So in, ironically, we're probably this week cutting those services by, you know, like 80% and just working on productizing our services. Brand identity is one of those. So um, the brand identity or the brand revolution, as we call it um, now, is the process of developing a brand. So so a lot of people think a brand is just a logo. The brand is not a logo. A brand is actually the feeling that you get when you see something. For example, if we're talking about Mercedes, we think luxury, we think sleek, it's black. So that's what the brand identity or the brand revolution is, is creating identity for your brand and the type of people you're going to serve, the aspirations of those types of people and getting into the psychographics of what kind of design is going to resonate.
1: with. Yeah. And by the way, when you say Mercedes, I, I actually go to red first over black, but that's just, uh, that's just me. And then, uh, reputation
0: management was the other one too. Is that another one that's being, uh, uh, winded down on? So that's more going to be like incohesion or like more so like compartmentalized with um, another service for the local businesses, so it's our Lead Accelerator program. But basically, it's just requesting reviews from past clients, uh, getting feedback from those reviews. If it's a negative review, then it goes back internally um, and allows the client to make it uh, a better solution or a better alternative than a negative review. And then just requesting new reviews. So that's that's the big part: getting new reviews and eliminating or omitting bad reviews. So once the site once it goes up, we can't go into Google and delete it. Uh, but reviews are huge for, for local businesses. Um, so even, even people who are selling on Shopify and online stores, we actually recorded a podcast yesterday about how important it is for an online store, uh, to actually be on Google, my business, it just kind of adds reputation and also gives you some good organic traffic as well. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the reputation management.
1: Okay. So this is a follow-up question. And just for our listeners know, whenever I ask something this tongue in cheek, I always screen it first. Um, just because, um, so have you ever without, I guess, calling the business out specifically, but have you ever had to run damage control for, for a business? And if so, what did that actually look like?
0: Yeah, it's, um, so there's, there's some stuff where, uh, we had a roofing company, uh, who for whatever reason decided to have a team of 20. And at that point he let go of like 18 of them. And it was just basically him and an executive assistant slash financial person and accountant, um, and they were just getting bad reviews online. They weren't finishing projects. They weren't, you know, basically upholding the integrity that they had for the last previous 10 years. I think the guy got a little money hungry. Um, it was a $15 million a year business. Um, I mean, the roofing industry, that top line revenue doesn't really matter. It's the bottom line revenue because uh, there's so much overhead, but more so the damage control for us was, uh, just responding to comments, trying to, um, to, which we don't typically do, but responding to the comments, fielding things, looking at reviews, trying to respond to the reviews. And then more so just trying to have a face-to-face conversation with the business owner and say, Hey, look, we realize that these things are happening. Like what happened to your team? What happened to the business? Like what's going on? How can we help? Because it looks like we're spiraling out of control right now. And more so, I think more than anything, the, what I personally care about is the integrity of our brand. And so, just by associating ourselves with this with this roofing company, I didn't want it to bring down us too, because it's also our employees and their pride and their integrity with what they do. So it was it was about six months of just a little bit of chaos at this point. Uh, not to mention that they were a little past due on paying us as well. So it was it was uh, I'm glad it's it's still top of mind, but I'm glad it's kind of hopefully being a distant memory because it happened probably about a year ago. So it's still somewhat fresh.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and, and one component to that too, is. I, I don't think it would reflect well on your brand to just let the company go when they're in their when they're in this situation. Um, I mean, even if it's completely justifiable right. and understandable, uh, I, th- I think it speaks a lot more to your integrity that even in this uh, PR disaster that they're currently in and that you sat them down and leveraged your own reputation too to a degree and say, listen, you know, your, your decisions aren't just affecting us. They're affecting, sorry, your decisions aren't just affecting you, they're affecting us and they're affecting anybody else that you're associated with. So you do have to keep that in mind. Well, and especially like
0: we're in a town, so we're in Allen, Texas, so just north of Dallas, it's about a hundred ish thousand. And this company is in Plano, just south of us, like, you know, a minute or two. It's in the business community. And even in the local community, it seems like that's a lot of people or whatever in the Metroplex but really it's a smaller group than you think. So it's like word gets around very quickly what's happening or not happening. So um, it's, it's more so to kind of take care of your own, to your point. And so it, it, I think it would almost be a little selfish to do it at that point. And also the reputation just because people talk at that point. It's, it's, it's a bigger area, not your 3,000-person community, but uh, people still do talk it does have a small-town feel.
1: So there's this philosophy that I've uh, talked about a couple of times. It doesn't like a hundred percent apply to you because I know that, uh, you, you focus on, on local, but in a way, uh, as your business, uh, can expand to help locals wherever they may be. Um, the rule is it's always better to be small first before you be big, because when you're small, you can figure out what goes wrong and then you can take those lessons to you before they're amplified when you go big. And so yeah. you're, because you're, you're working with businesses that they have limitations, um, which are. Good for them, right? They 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 don't want to necessarily expand to like uh, all over the place. It just goes to show how important it is to make sure that every little detail counts, um, and because they're a lot more uh, noticeable than when a big company is is servicing. I don't know. They don't have 18 people. They have hundreds of thousands of people or tens of thousands of people, and those little mistakes you don't catch them right away, and that's why they end up becoming big mistakes.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it's, I I do think it is an advantage. I think for most things in business. It is an advantage to be smaller because um, it's it's kind of like the David and Goliath kind of thing. You know, um, we're small but mighty. So mm-hmm. a smaller email list, well, you know which people are opening them. Uh, you know which people are interacting. You know if your stuff is good. You know if you have a system in place and you're working with five clients. If it's not working well, those five clients are going to tell you and it's going to be a uh, you know a one-to-one conversation versus... You know, I heard from a person who heard from a person who heard from a person that come downstream. So um, in most instances, absolutely. I think it's almost a disservice for a business to start out and just go grow exponentially the first couple of years because you do, you, you basically run into a lot of gaps and holes that you, you know, have to go pack basically put damage control on to what you were talking about earlier.
1: And and one uh, distinction to make, um, just because of our uh, of our base of our dropshipper community, you know, one of the things that we talk about in in dropshipping is the need to uh, to scale uh, quickly. And so I think I, I encourage dropshippers, uh, you know, like myself, I'm very swiftly joining those ranks. Is to just bear in mind uh, the difference between the the small mindset versus the big mindset, because I think for for me, just for instance, is. I perceive small as I'm not running ten different stores. I'm running one, right? Um, and in that store, it, I will eventually have other products on there, but for now, I'm just working on one product just for testing purposes. And you know, fingers crossed it goes well. But uh, that's it's a little bit too much hope and uh, not not enough data. So there is so there are some ways. There it's, I, I would just say, encourage people to think about where we can put those limitations and where they can be uh, an advantage. Uh, Cause small, like you said, David does, is the one to end up toppling the Goliath after all.
0: Yeah. And I, I was going to say, we're, um, we're doing a version of drop shipping for like a t-shirt for ourselves internally. It's more like a passion project, mm-hmm. but we're using it as our, for ourselves to test for um, our e-commerce clients. So testing the types of ads, the creative, the text, whatever. Um, and what we've realized through like organic posting and everything like that, which I've kind of been against, if you niche down or you find a niche model, like, um, we started very small and now our posts reach about a million people, um, every month. Um, so, and we haven't even started selling anything yet. So right now just building audiences, building community, building people. And it's just a ton of fun. Um, A girl last week, actually, I think on Saturday, messaged me and said that she thinks that one of the pictures we used for me was like a picture of her and her dad and she wants to clarify. It's a one that's kind of going viral and we have like 16 or 17,000 shares. Um, It's a picture of a girl and her dad inside of Blockbuster and it's just talking about like, you know, being 1996 and like, you know, everybody remembers going to Blockbuster with their parents Mm -hmm. and just the memories and all these people are tagging their parents and friends or whatever. Um, But that's allowing us you know, get back to the point is like to start small, to figure out the community, figure out what their aspirations are. Um, and then we can expand from there, but basically just building that community online. That's fantastic.
1: One of the things I this is, I think one more, not the one more, but this was a business question that I've chambered for a little bit here that I uh, that I want to ask you is um, in your uh, intro- introductory video, one of the things that you mentioned is if you're going to recommend a business does something it's also something that you guys do yourself so there's a, there's a lot of integrity in that we're not going to suggest something unless we know it and to your point you were just saying how you're testing these this this t-shirt um um printing this this some semi drop shipping um operation so then that way if you're going to suggest it to other businesses you can say well look here's how we did it uh here, here's how it works now we know so can you uh, can you expand on uh, maybe some other examples of uh, what practices that you've deployed to g- get to the success level that you're at that you're also using for others
0: it comes down to the education so we're constantly we pair employees um, at least an hour every week to spend time on educating themselves, whether it's in very specific area that's uh, focused on how they can grow in like their position or what. But we have uh, dedicated time where it's just, okay, here's education. But more so for us, we started a video show on Blab, if you remember Blab, uh, way back when. It was basically what Clubhouse is now, but with video form, meaning you just have a bunch of just random rooms where people can come in there and talk. So we tested video back in 2015, and then we created a series. We told our local businesses, create a series so you can become a local celebrity. So we started a series back in 2016, and up until April of this last year, because of um, corona, we have done a weekly show every single week, recorded and released a new video every single week for um, local businesses. So we tested video, um, and then we were like, okay, well, local businesses – you know, you can dominate on a podcast. So we're like, okay, let's test podcasting for and see if we see success there. Um, and now we're about to hit 200 episodes. So we tested that, and then we told our our um, our clients, okay, make sure that you're not only doing video, but live video, and then posting regularly. So now we're posting more regularly. We're also interacting with our clients, and then. I think, yeah, like you said, the most recent one is like, okay, we want to test this for e-commerce, but let's, let's figure out, you know, some campaigns that we can run for ourselves. Let's spend our own money. So a lot of times we spend our own advertising dollars and more so time to figure out the solution for our clients so that they don't have to spend the money to figure out the solution for them. And then they see us more as the authority. Cause they're like, Hey, look, these guys have created, you know, 250, 300 videos for a weekly show since 2016. They have 200 podcast episodes. They probably know what they're talking about and they could help me.
1: And also to um, 200 episodes, but 200 episodes that people who are listening to it and are engaged with. Right. So uh, this was another um, th- a conversation that I had with a previous guest named Hassan Anbar. He was an SEO expert and he was taking me through his, um, his history with the internet because he's been in the game for, for a while. And he pointed out that one of the earliest businesses to adapt to the internet was the travel industry. And, And it checks out because if you think about travel, it hinges on there being two points being somewhat far away from each other. So the internet makes sense in that way to help bridge the gap, so to speak. Now in small businesses, the other thing that I observed with him is that I don't think the internet was as uh, prevalent, even as up until when uh, we were facing the global lockdown. So the question that I uh, pose to you is, from your experience, have you noticed that the, that businesses have really had to, um, adapt to turn using the internet more so because of COVID and have there been any holdouts? Have any businesses tried to, uh, keep going, uh, regardless of it?
0: Yeah, so I think it's what's happened. And what I tell people is that this was going to happen and inevitably not, not a pandemic, thank goodness. Uh, mm-hmm. I did not think that, and I hope there is not another one, but what inevitably was going to happen was that we were going to get to this stage in the internet because it's maturing. So if you look at it it's it's still kind of a young person um as far as like mass. And then when you really look at like social media we're talking, you know, what is this now? 12, 14, 15 years or so. Uh, yeah, social media I would say is in its teenage years. Right. So super early. I mean, we're talking babies at this point. Uh, these people can barely drive. So and I think, yeah, Instagram, Pinterest, they all were formed in 2010. So they're 10-year-old kids at this point. I guess my point from that is we were going to have this happen anyway. It's just happened about 24 to 30 months before. So to answer your question more directly, absolutely, we're seeing more businesses online. And it basically forced their hands. Some people actually said, hey, this is it. I'm I'm at 55, 60 years old. I'm actually going to hang up my reins and I don't want to be forced into that. Um other people said, okay, let's embrace this. And they've shifted their whole company culture. You hear it about Pinterest losing, like not losing, but they signed a 39 or $40 million deal to just basically remove themselves from their new headquarters and not take rent and move everybody to remote. So, um, And that means more internet uh, at home. So I do think that there are more people on the internet. I think more people are versed in the internet. And I think more people are versed in like, On ways to communicate on the internet, i. e., like something like Zoom, like we're on you know Zencast right now, but we also are on Zoom as well. So it's like you just sent me a link, and I had Zoom. It's just Mm kind of it's just kind of assumed at this point that somebody has downloaded Zoom for whatever reason. So yeah, and even
1: if not, it does not take very long to to get Zoom up and running either.
0: Mm -mm, No, yeah, we're talking a couple of minutes. So absolutely.
1: Oh yeah, so one of the things that I uh, observed in one of the episodes that i've done solo uh i think chronologically it's not out yet but it might be out by the time we release this episode is about the advantages and disadvantages of remote work and one of them too is that companies don't have the same overhead that they now have when they have to uh, rent out office spaces um this the sales job that i had before i was brought onto this company we rented out at WeWork, and i know all about what WeWork was going through i I haven't looked into it lately, but I don't think they're very happy right now. So, but on the, uh, what it also does too, is that I think it also increases the costs for each individual because my, my utility bill and my, my internet usage, um, is consumed a lot more now that I'm working from home than if I were to go into an office place where the business would have to have to, um, basically front that bill. So I am noticing that it's, the the cost has like dispersed on more individual basis. But even so, I, I'll take it. Like I don't lose 15 hours a week traveling on the subway. Uh, I I can write it off on, uh, on my taxes. Oh boy, am I looking forward to tax season. It's going to be fun this year. Uh, so there's advantages and disadvantages, but the advantages are far more numerous.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, what it's done for me, and at least personally is like uh, up until about 12 or maybe one o'clock. So I spend the mornings you know, working out, doing whatever, but then I work from home till about 12, one o'clock. And then I do go up to the office to see the team interact. So I'm kind of, and I think that I'm an anomaly right now, but I think that it's actually going to be more so the norm because working from home has its purpose Mm -hmm. because of the flexibility and people want that more than ever. But us as humans, we need social interaction outside of people just in our homes even if there's not a pandemic or whatever else like we'd go out and interact with people but we need to interact with our team so I think that what's gonna happen is we are gonna start seeing a hybrid version of this maybe not like me where you know half your days at home and half your days at work but more so three days are at home and two days are at work because you need that community at work um, if it's possible you know a lot of people, do work across the country remotely, but, you know, for the mass, vast majority, a lot of them do work locally and they are able to commute into the office. It's just been, you know, cumbersome. So I think we'll hopefully get less traffic. And I think we'll start to see a hybrid model of people not having huge offices, but smaller offices and still going to see the team for a couple of days per week because they need that community.
1: Right, And, and it also depends too on, on the, um, on the industry that we're talking about, like, I I would imagine that writers' rooms are just not the same if everybody is on a Zoom call. Um, The idea that all of the writers get together and they bounce uh, ideas off of each other. And there's a lot to be said about just the vibrations and the energy and how that energy can motivate people and improves people's mindset and gear them more towards the work. So I I, I totally agree with you. There are lots of good reasons to continue to have uh, in in-person location, all, everybody that I work with are either like in India or they're Australia or the Philippines. So it's, it's going to be hard for us, but you know, it is, um, something that I would look forward to whenever the opportunity does arise.
0: Cool. Yeah. And no, I guess for people like you, it'd be more so like a meetup or something like, Hey, each quarter, we're going to bring the whole team to this location. Let's, you know, have community there that way. But I think more than ever, we're all seeking community. So some way, shape or form, there's going to be a, a push to like, want that.
1: There's, um, what was his name? Uh, Joshua Chin. Uh, he calls it like a workcation where he, they get the company to all come together to meet up on location and it's kind of a getaway, but it's also a chance for the company to, yeah, get to know each other and to be more invested in it and to see what ideas are, uh, are, are, incubated from that, from that experience. So hybrid, you know, good, good reasons for both. So we definitely don't want to see it go away. Uh, and it's, and, it's, right. and frankly is not. Um, so yeah. So one of the things I also want to know about is the difference between the social proof of a local business versus the social proof of a business. That's strictly online online. We want reviews. We want engagement on social media. And I presume that that's also important too in a local business. But I think that there's a different element to social proof when you're talking about a local business, because one of the things that you were saying about the roofing company is that people are talking so each individual person on the street even if they're they meet each other up in the grocery store or whatever that can be a moment that influences the well-being of the business depending on what they talk about so uh, what are some distinct social proofs that we can we can talk about in relation to a local business
0: yeah so i think one thing that's kind of undervalued at this point is like at least for marketing agencies or like other local businesses is like the community of networking like whether you're chamber of commerce um other you know the better business bureau those are those are quote unquote social proofs that you could add to your website, add to um, your uh, presence online as well, or your door, or whatever As people are going by. It's like, okay, they're A plus certified as a, biz, a better business bureau. They are part of the community. They're part of the chamber of commerce. Those are the social proofs that people are also looking for. It's like, you know, if I'm looking at James down the street and Frank down the street and then Cindy, and then Cindy has the chamber of commerce. She's a better business bureau. She has, you know, 75 to a hundred five-star reviews on Google. She also has friends commenting on her um, posts in Facebook. And then people are also tagging her in Facebook groups to like do work with her. So that's like an array of the social proof of like the network side of things is um, just different industries or different badges that you can have to kind of say that you're part of this, uh, exclusive group, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The chamber of commerce. That's one that hasn't, um, pop, it didn't pop into my mind, even when I was thinking about what answers could be there to the question. So that's important too. It's, uh, it, it officiates the the business and legitimizes it and it understands you know we're not just here to sell and then burn you know what i mean like when people just say they sell and then they get out I was like no we're here we're invested we're planting roots you know we're, we're here to be a part of this uh, so that's, that's that's major so we're we're getting close to our um uh, to the not just the latter half but really like the last quarter of uh, of this and so what i wanted to do was uh point out a few snippets from your podcast just so that listeners know what kind of value your podcast brings the first snippet is how it might not be a good idea to be on every social media platform. Um, transitioning just from what we were talking about with social. So, as a start, what's the premise behind that thought process? And then, um, on a practical matter, how do you work out what platform is a good fit for what client?
0: Yeah. So it, the premise is that, like, I don't know where it's stolen from. So if you you know, depending on uh, who's listening, tell me so I can give credit. But basically, there's five ones that need to happen in your business for you to grow the fastest, most efficiently and you know typically the most profitable so you want to have one audience one offer one message one platform for one year that's the fastest way for you to grow most people that i talk to are trying to make their first 100,000 make the first 250,000 maybe even get to a million dollars and the fastest way for you to do that efficiently and without you know stressing out or wasting a bunch of time is to follow that method and it's focused on extreme focus meaning that you could be mediocre at 10 platforms, mm-hmm. but I would rather you be dominant at one because if you're not dominant at one, then you're going to get like 2% here and 2% there and 2% here Um, versus you could be operating at 70, 80% from one platform. So, and it's also easier like local businesses and even businesses in general, they have a family. They have all the rest of the other business to work worry about. They have so many other things that are going on with themselves that if they try to do so much on social, it does just going to get burnout. Mm -hmm. So the the thought process is focus is the fastest way to grow, but then also uh, you want to eliminate burnout and do something that you enjoy. Um, The second part of your question to answer is you want to know where your audience is. And then you also want to know what you understand and what you enjoy. So if your audience isn't on Instagram, as much as what they are on facebook and you also enjoy facebook more then it's a no-brainer but if your audience is on youtube and you're kind of afraid of video i would say okay find the second best platform or push yourself to that different level and work off of youtube and start creating video content so it really depends on the, the business and it's conversation that we have with each one of them okay where do you feel comfortable Okay, where's your audience? Where's the where's the crossover? Mm-hmm. And then how can we pollinate the different platforms later? But we have to dominate one first. So that's that's usually our philosophy.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm mean, one of the one of the things that I remember. And for cro- listeners who've been dedicated to every episode, you'll have to forgive me for repeating this, but I remember one client that I had worked on very early on as a as an editor and a producer. Uh, he had wanted to set up Hootsuite, and what he wanted to do was send a message out and then have it automatically disseminated between Facebook and Twitter. And I think there might've been a third one in there, but I can't remember. And that immediately rubbed me the wrong way. And the reason why is because I felt like it wasn't respecting each platform's different rules, especially at that time, Twitter had a, well, you'd only ha- use half the characters that you can have now. I think it was like 124, something along those lines. And so right. I would write something that was tweet length, but then if I posted it on Facebook, well, that would come into conflict with all this other stuff that could be much longer. And so it's really important too that each platform deserves respect and that you have to understand what are the rules and what are the motifs behind each one. And so if I'm going to be on Twitter, I'm writing a tweet. If I'm going to be on Facebook, Mm -hmm. I'm writing a post. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to transition us right into this other question because this is one that I really want to get your opinion on. And then we'll go back to some other snippets too. So here's here's the issue that I personally have with uh, social media is that I think what they're doing is actually making it harder for me to illustrate my point because they seem to be pulling features from other platforms. So on Instagram, for instance, and when I signed on to it, it was—I I don't remember there being stories. I remember it's just being images. And so now, when I go onto Instagram, I—I I can't help it. I just habitually go to the stories. I scan through the stories, many of which are still images, granted. But then I don't really have the capacity to then scroll through that many images. I'll go through maybe three or four that Instagram says, congratulations, you're all caught up. I'm like, really? Really, Instagram? I'm caught up? I don't, okay. Mm -hmm. If you say so. Um, Facebook is doing stories. I mean, Facebook is doing everything. Facebook is like, yeah, yeah, it's it's got its own thing. Uh, Twitter, I think Twitter just implemented stories into it. So I want to get your take on that is, do you feel like the platforms are starting to get a little bit too diluted for their own good?
0: Yeah, so I think it's um, they're each pushing each other's envelope to find out what people are actually using. So um, stories came about because of Snapchat, because Snapchat said that, hey, short form video is actually what people are interested in. And and then Instagram added it. And then, you know, look at TikTok. It was short form video. That's what made a virality like possible. And then now they're extending that length. I think they're just going off of consumer behavior. They have a lot more data than I do. Um, it can be confusing and it's also can be overwhelming, which is why I always tell people, you know, pick the platforms that are, are best meant for you. For example, like you, I mean, I would think clubhouse would be the best place. You could literally, there's no video, nothing. It's just audio and it's just good conversation with people and it's video, it's audio only. Um, so that's, that's like one place. Some people love the aesthetics of Instagram. It could be the aesthetics, could be stories, could be the posts, whatever. Um, but I guess my advice to people is like consume what you enjoy from it because there should be um, an overlap of everything that makes the platform what it is, um, as well as some additional things. So the longer videos, the stories, the posts, uh, they got all be inside of one platform. And I think that that's just because each one of them are trying to adapt to what the market is saying. So um, I know that I personally as well, just get into stories, a lot more people consume stories. And I think it's good. And I like the adaptiveness to it. Uh, But yeah, we're seeing so much copying. It's just literally Mm -hmm. you don't know. It's like, it's like a funny meme of everybody pointing at each other, like, who did what first. Um, So there's no originality anymore. But I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing, as long as the people who are consuming the content, enjoy the platform for its intended purposes. So, um, I think it's, you know, it could be a good thing. I I always like to just say, let's keep progressing. And if it doesn't work, then we can, we can kind of recede. Okay. That's fair.
1: And then I I will say one thing positive about stories is that they do reflect more of how, you know, life actually is because people will, Mm -hmm. without pointing out any specific examples, I I think we all have at least like one person in our head who was called out on tweets that they had made years ago. And how they don't really reflect that person anymore, but it's costing them something significant, like a deal or a contract or something like that. Uh, whereas stories, um, mm-hmm. they reflect reality because reality is constantly changing. And so a story comes, a story goes, and it's just in the same way each day passes by and it doesn't come up again. So I, w- I will say that about stories. So yeah, when, uh, one last one, and then I'll I get back to a couple of other of the uh, the snippets I extracted, which is, which one do you think is doing stories best right now?
0: Stories still is Instagram to me. Okay, I think um, more so Snapchat had the ability for it to really take off, but it inhibited people from actually um, doing the one thing that they loved most, which was following and unfollowing people instead of necessarily making that connection, uh, kind of like Facebook. So I think they missed it. But Instagram, when I think of stories, I think predominantly the first thing that comes to mind is Instagram because it's just it's native. They do a very good job of where the button should be placed. Um, and then it's also, like you said, it's your friends and it's a Mm -hmm. really good interaction between the post and the story. So I think they're still doing the best with that and also adding features. Now, granted their features are very much stolen from other things like TikTok and Snapchat, but, um, I think it's definitely keeping the user base there to be creative with stories too. So I would, I would vote Instagram.
1: Yeah. And then the, if you think about TikTok for a second, TikTok is the, uh, the successor, maybe spiritual successor to Vine. Um, I remember Vine, uh, quite vividly, even to this day, I can still look up like the Will Sasso vines where he keeps shooting lemons out of his mouth. You know, it's really, really funny stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one that I wanted to ask about is, um, redundancy. Um, and you'll have to forgive me. I, I didn't write this down as clearly as probably I should have, but. I understand is that redundancy, while that sounds bad, there actually is a lot of benefits to a sense of repetition in a business. So can you um, clarify that for me and expand on how it's actionable?
0: Yeah, so for you to make a buying decision, let's just talk in e-commerce here. So like a an it could be, and I always try to like, for us anyway, we try to mix the two of them together. So like a local business owner, Is somebody, And if you're listening, you can be a local business owner, and then we want to shift to that service to being online, whether it's an online service or product-based. But for somebody to actually say that they are going to be raising their hand and actually purchase your service or your product, they need to see it over and over again. Now, they should not see the same thing over and over again. They should see variations of that. But what happens is it actually builds proof, and it also builds authority. So you're like, oh yeah, like for example, Dr. Pepper or Coca-Cola, Geico, like they're always out there. They're just doing different things and they're always putting the brain behind it. So we trust them because of their frequency on that. Now, we don't get annoyed on it because of the redundancy. So the same thing for us, what we can do with social, what's so powerful about social is you can have five or six or seven different types of creative that all say very similar things, but in a different way. And it allows your brain to be in front of that person very... Um, frequent without annoying them, but also just add value. Cause you may say, for example, okay, I'm interested in these sunglasses. Um, they're kind of cool. I want to wear them. But then I also show you uh, an ad that talks specifically about somebody else who's wearing them. Who's just like you and it's social proof. And then you may have another person who says, Hey, look, so social proof is a thing, but you also would focus on durability. Well, they're super durable. You can put them underneath the chair and you know, they won't smash. So doing that builds the authority, adds the proof, and it also increases sales. We say we should be in front of me, somebody who goes to the website until they purchase or until they've basically moved out of the wheel. We want to be in front of them at least once per day.
1: Uh, I can certainly imagine Coca-Cola has been in front of me once a day, but it's gotten to the point where it's like sales passed me and it affects me subconsciously. But uh, yeah, I'm always going to want to crave a Coca-Cola. Dr. Pepper in a close second, too, because my my, my girlfriend's mom, she brings Dr. Pepper's over. So that's one way to to be on my mind is by being right in my fridge. So you did mention, you mentioned very briefly earlier about the advantage of small email lists over big ones. I just wanted to point out that that was one of the questions, but you did answer it earlier. So just to reiterate, uh, it's more, it's easier to engage with a smaller audience um, versus... um, Thinking about what kind of message someone has to send, if they're sending it to hundreds of thousands of people or even tens of thousands of people. It's not the, the message itself changes versus a more, I guess, intimate message with a smaller group of people it makes them feel more connected to each other. So you, you talk about the importance. We've, this is something we got into earlier. And so there's a very specific question. Uh, so just to reiterate to the audience, it's about, it's important to build the community and to uh, generate um, interest first um, before selling. Now there's one aspect of this that I'm wondering about, which is if community members could ever feel like misdirected or misled, um, if they get into a brand before finding out that there's now something for sale. So we want to avoid the perception of a bait and switch. So is there any specific methods that a business takes just to make sure that like, you know, the, the relationship is all good to go by the time the business is ready to sell?
0: Yeah. So I think that what you have to do for that is people want more than anything for you to be honest and transparent. Hey, I'm building this community for you. And eventually there's going to be something for sale, or there's going to be something that's available for you to take it to that next level. But for most people, you're just fine staying in this community and building whatever that is. So it could be drop shippers, it could be um, another private community, it could be You know, just free knowledge could be videos, whatever. But the whole point is that you're just super transparent by saying this information is going to get you to one level and it will probably make you successful and you don't need any of our other services. But we are working and we're talking about this next solution, which is the next logical step for you and your business. Um, I think by doing that, you also you build up anticipation. It's kind of like whenever, you know, I don't know if you watched like Cobra Kai or like whatever else.
1: I love Cobra Kai. I just just got through season three.
0: Okay, so I'm only like three or four episodes in, but what they did really, really well was the anticipation for it. You know, one of the very first things they did right now and what I did too is one of the most popular searches is season four of Cobra Kai. And the guy who's the screenwriter, everything like that, they started tweeting about it. So they've created this community of people And they said, hey, look, this is going to come out later. So they build up anticipation. So getting back to the business side, hey, I'm going to give you the five steps to drive free traffic to your Shopify store. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to talk to you about the five best themes for your Shopify store for this particular brand. But then after that, I'm going to give you a course because the next logical thing is for you to go do it yourself. But you probably need the roadmap for it. And so we're going to have a course that's going to come out and we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about this. And these are the steps that you need to take to create and launch a successful business. And those of you who are interested, great. If not, we're still going to give tons of value outside of it. So long answer short, I think it's just about transparency and letting them know that, hey, look, we are in business. We want to be a community and valuable to you guys. But eventually, we're going to help the people who want to take it to the next level and this is how we're going to do it. So if you're ready, then raise your hand. If not, you can still be part of our community and let's just keep growing together.
1: That's terrific. And it, it, and it speaks to another uh, ongoing uh, theme about how uh, a lot of people have been putting out value and next thing you know, they'll hear from somebody that was enjoying their content for years and years. And I said, you know, it took me a while, but I'm, I'm finally ready to do it. So it, it, de- it definitely works out. 100%. All right, Aaron, we, uh, we got to get you on Addy. Um, so the final question, as is tradition, I think this is also a tradition for most podcasts, pretty sure. Um, so it's two, two parts. First is parting words of wisdom. There's an answer to a question I didn't ask that, or just anything you'd like to impart on, uh, on our listeners. Uh, this is the chance to do it. And then how to reach out and how people can get in touch with you.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that came to mind whenever you asked that is that we can never fail at what we're doing. We can only learn, grow, or make ourselves better. So focus on persistence with your business because no matter if it's this business or another business or whatever else, if you keep moving forward, you're not going to fail. So when you think like that or you dream like that, it's not it doesn't matter to you as much. Like little blips in the radar are just blips in the radar. So as you look at successful people online, whether they're selling through a Shopify store or local business, it's just keep being persistent. I think we've seen that a lot through the pandemic as the people who have been successful and even grew their businesses during this pandemic were the ones who said, I can't fail. I'm going to try new things. I'm going to persist. I'm going to find a way to serve my community and grow. So when you think like that, I think that there's no possible way that you don't make it out, um, you know, on top, whatever that the end may be for your business. But, um, that would, that would be my parting words of wisdom for y'all is to definitely, y'all, Texas, um, is to <laughs> definitely just stay persistent and, and more so find somebody who you can talk to who is maybe a step ahead of you or right there with you and talk to them about that as well. Make sure it's the same kind of mindset because they can push and counteract you um, and you guys can both continue to grow and move forward too. Fantastic,
1: and then the other half of it is how people get engaged with your content and get engaged with you,
0: right? So uh, the easiest thing is uh, our website. So it's Bit Branding. That's B I T B R A N D I N G dot C O. That's our website. Um, we're on every social platform at Bit Branding. Everything from TikTok to Facebook. Um, our podcast is called The Marketing Natives. And then for me personally, if you want to reach out, I just punch, post a bunch of uh, you know running and business. Um, it's just Pearson, Aaron, J on everything too. So B-E-A-R-S-O-N, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, and then J. And that's just across every social platform if you want to connect with me personally.
1: Fantastic. All right, listeners, thank you so much for for listening and we will check in soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. You might've found this show on many number of platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoyed this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.